Welcome in and welcome back to the Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, back from European holiday and uh, and and revived and ready. Um, yeah. we, we will get to some of the details of, of your trip a little bit later, but let, let's jump into the things that you've missed. And to be frank, eh, the world's still spinning. <laughs> We're doing okay. Eh, you know, there's not much. The, um, the, the first thing I wanted to run by you, though, was uh, the news over the weekend of Dewan Mathis, the four-star quarterback out of Michigan, former Michigan State commit, who committed um, to Ohio State earlier this week. And what was interesting about it to me is um, I was doing the radio show with, with Laurenitis in Columbus last week, and it was one of those days we were like, yeah, there's not much going on. I mean, let's what's, what's kind of out there that we could discuss? And one of the things that's really fascinating to me and him and my guess most of Buckeye Nation will be how Urban handles this quarterback situation with Dwayne Haskins, clearly the starter. I mean, he's practicing with Antonio Brown and Deshaun Watson and all the best. You know, I mean, he's 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 you know, like a, a celebrity quarterback, even though he's played like a half of football that we've seen. And he's clearly the starter. And Urban has admitted that you know, in the time that you were gone, that, that it was his job, but that they were also going to get Tate Martell. In. And that's really what was interesting is how do you keep Tate Martell happy? Because he's kind of holding the program hostage. And I said, it's, it's the only time because of the miss out on Emory Jones and, and not getting a big time quarterback in that class. It's the only time that Ohio state kind of seems a little vulnerable at quarterback. And so we did 20 minutes on it. And um, that was at the end of last week. And then uh, by five days later, urban has a flip. <laughs> and and he's got a four-star quarterback coming in. And it just kind of affirmed to me, um, like, we have first-world problems at, at Ohio State. You know? I mean, we yeah. our, our problems are unlike anybody else's. They're so much easier than everybody else's problems. You know, we want four four-star quarterbacks and five-star quarterbacks on the roster, not two. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody else would take either one of the other kids. But it speaks to how difficult it is to put this program into proper context. Because a problem that you think maybe could have lasted all of the football season is solved in the middle of June. Yeah. No, and it shifts, you know, there's that that concept that they talk about in politics, the Overton window, right? Which is the the Overton window refers to the acceptable acceptable conversation that you will have about a topic. And you can shift yeah. it one way or the other, depending on what your expectations are for that topic. And if your expectations are that Urban Meyer is going to get every five-star quarterback that he wants in successive years, and that's what you think he should do, then you have shifted that window so far to the extreme that anything else outside of that window is going to be like this crazy, awful thing that's happened to the program. And it's, 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 I, I think perspective is a weird word on this because it's hard to have perspective when you can just solve problems. Um, I, you know, we're going to get into it a little bit with does – you know, flipping, you know, recruits, is that, is that a sustainable, you know, method of action? But I, in general, I mean, I think the proof is, is on the field. Like you can't really argue with the results that he's gotten. Um, Especially when you're considering, you know, JT Barrett, a guy who wasn't all that heralded coming into Ohio state uh, ends up leaving as, you know, statistically one of, if not the best quarterback in big 10 history. Yeah, you, you alluded to the story. It's a story that Doug wrote, and it was an original Dougley Maurice Cleveland.com, who's so great um, on the beat, and is what I and he's a columnist now at Cleveland.com. And what I like about Doug is he looks at things in angles that I hadn't. Um, and I think that a lot of people hadn't and yeah. just writes really smart stuff. And um one of the what he wrote in in the follow-up to this was is it a Ohio State has flipped its last few quarterback commitments. But what that also means is that they've missed or had kids decommit from the quarterback position. 
And is that a recipe for success going forward? It's the first time I thought of it that way, that Urban is not getting his first choice at quarterback. And it got me thinking a little bit about the way that they have recruited the quarterback position. Now, they've had a ton of success with it. Braxton, they didn't have to recruit. Um, it, Herman was – JT was Herman's. Um, Cardell was here already. Um, and then from there, it, it was Dwayne and Joe and now Tate um, were, are the guys who, who ended up you know, on the roster. But there, there were a lot of kids that were missed. And I do wonder if recruiting the quarterback position at Ohio State is the most challenging recruiting sell on the roster. Just from the standpoint of Urban does not have a track record. I mean, yeah. for, for all the success, does not have a track record of of incredible quarterback play in terms of translating to the NFL. Yes, he's had tremendous quarterback play in college, but because he hasn't really developed an NFL quarterback, save for Alex Smith, who he only had for two years or one. Yeah, not it's a really very short stretch with Alex. I mean, he had Tebow for three, well, for all four, uh, but Tebow really, you know, w- w- was not certainly not what you consider an NFL. It, the best one he recruited was Cam Newton, but Cam never played for him in terms of, you know, not meaningfully anyway. So he he doesn't have that on the resume, and it's kind of the only thing that is lacking. And and that's why another reason to bring it full circle back to Dwayne Haskins. Why I think if if Haskins can be a hit and can be an NFL draft pick at quarterback. That changes that narrative, which I do think is probably out there. Well, okay, so I want to ask you about that because to me, I i mean, even as a high school teacher, I don't pretend to know what's in the minds of teenagers. I, it's a fool's errand to try to, to learn the yeah. art of a teenager. But do you think that is that big of it? I mean, if you look at Nick Saban, yeah. like how – like Nick Saban doesn't have a great NFL track record with quarterbacks either. But, but he doesn't I mean, need them. Well, well, right. And I guess not trying to recruit him. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is like for Urban Meyer, does he need does is he at that point where he needs a, you know, a marquee quarterback that he has to go after? Yeah. Like Emory Jones. Need is the tricky word. I don't know if he needs it. I think he wants it. Yeah. He would have loved to have Deshaun Watson, you know, would have loved to have uh, the Fields kid that's going to Georgia. I mean, I I think he would have loved to have some of those kids who slipped through, you know, the fingers a little bit, would have loved to have had him in scarlet and gray. And it's, it's a position that means so much to urban's offense. Right. And he's, I mean, again, these are first world problems. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is <laughs> yeah. the, the trick that you get into covering this program uh-huh. because the standard is so high that you feel, you know, you have to find little things that are interesting to you. And so when I say it's kind of the only kind of weakness that they've had in recruiting, it's all relative. I mean, they still have, I mean, they still have the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a backup. So it's not like, you know, this isn't a real problem. It's not It's not a problem that that anybody other than, you know, Clemson or Alabama are about the only two schools that, that you could say, well, they're better at this mm-hmm. um, recently. But, I mean, Ohio State has done this at a very high level. They just It's just the one thing that I think you could say they're, that they haven't gotten exactly who they've wanted. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the – just the coaching staff at the quarterback position in general. And I think that influences a lot of it. I mean, I think, you know, with Tom Herman, I mean, a guy like that can bring in, you know, any number of quarterbacks. And I think with Ryan day, like, I think that really helps actually, because I think he's the kind of guy that recruits can get excited about. And, you know, you hear time and time again, when you ask, you know, these guys and you talk to him, like what was the biggest factor in you going to a school and it's a relationship with the coaches. So, 
if you're looking for like you know a ray of sunshine where you're like okay we urban's got to have this x guy like maybe some guy who shows up in a couple years and he's you know obviously head and shoulders above anybody else and he fits perfectly with the system or whatever having a coach like a ryan day in place i think really helps that out a lot um so i'm not i'm not like really pessimistic about it i think their track record in developing guys speaks for itself and i also think yeah. that the the coaching staff they have in place is really going to help them out in the, you know next several years assuming yeah. you know a guy it's like Dave's around for yeah. more than no this this and this trust me this thing starts it, the, the whole reason we're talking about this is the idea of um of they really need you know maybe they finally have something that you could say boy that's something they're really gonna have to worry about and then urban goes and gets a flip right so i mean these <laughs> the are subtext well the subtext here of course is what's going on at michigan and that's what i think is really fascinating about that so in the next few years we'll see how how that ends up developing especially given you know how it shook out uh this year at ohio state with who ended up staying and who ended up transferring so Oh yeah, there's no doubt that uh, Harbaugh. More, I mean, Harbaugh needs Shea Patterson to be great, and right. then he can recruit on that. You know, going forward. So that yes. that's it's no make no mistake, make or make or break year for for Harbaugh. And, um, not in terms of getting fired or anything, but just you know, he needs to show some some traction at that position going forward. Speaking of quarterbacks, one of our own, of course, Joe Burrow transferred to LSU, and he is one of our own. He is a graduate of Ohio State, and he gave three years to a program. And you know, this wasn't. I don't certainly wasn't his first choice to have to transfer. He would have rather have won the job and and quarterback the last next two years at Ohio State and rode off in the sunset as one of the greats. I don't I think that was without question the intent. He goes to LSU and uh, at the Manning Passing Academy, Jarrett Stidham, who who could be a lot of people are projecting a first round NFL draft pick next year in the NFL draft. Who's a quarterback at Auburn who transferred in after a great career. Uh, I think he played the one great year at Baylor and then transferred to Auburn after um, Art Bryles went to hell. And so he <laughs> he's now at Auburn and he was asked at the Manning passing Academy. He was asked by Alabama.com uh, any advice for Burrow. And so this was what Jarrett Stidham said, and I'm quoting. He said, I don't know how it is up north, but people down south love their football. That's number one. Number two, the SEC, it's a lot of fun. It's a grind. Every single week, you've got to bring your game. There's no cupcakes in our league. You've got to get somebody's best every single week. You've got to be physically and mentally prepared for those types of games and situations, end quote. This is red meat for us, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, how dare you disrespect the north, blah, blah, blah. Okay, right. We, I understand. That. I mean, this is a kid. Your your opinions are a product of your environment. This is a kid who played at Baylor and then went to Auburn. Well, that's a pretty big difference to go from Baylor to Auburn in terms of the environments on a Saturday from a game day's perspective. He would have no point of reference on what Ohio State game day is like and, and would have no clue about it. And it, it's more ignorant than anything else. I'm not going to kill him. He was asked a question. And he answered it. Um, what I do think is interesting about it, though, is the uh, the echo chamber that is Southern football and the SEC. And it's the original sports echo chamber in that if you say something enough, it becomes truth. And and that has happened in that league. And for some part of the last 15 years or so, it's been true. That has been the best league. They put more people into the NFL than, than any other any other conference. Um, they've won more national championships than I think everybody else combined in the last 15 years. I mean, Alabama alone's got five, so there's you're there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so they, they've they've proven it on the field. That league has certainly at the top that it's that it's it's the best league. There's there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, I I don't know. 
if if that will be the case this year. And I don't know if it'll be the case in the immediate future based on what the Big Ten power teams are starting to do in recruiting. And if it can be, if they can hold up their end of the bargain, and I'm referring to Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, who has so many guys back, and Nebraska with Scott Frost. I don't know if the Big Ten has been in a better position than it is right now to combat this narrative and those thoughts that come out of the South. And make no mistake, Jared Sidham is is the voice in this particular instance, the voice of a region. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's, that echoes every single thought that every single Southern college football fan has about Northern football. Like, it doesn't mean that much or not that great. And that's never going to change. Regardless of how good the Big Ten is in relation to the SEC, that's going to be the perception, like, period. Um, and mostly because Alabama is just winning a bunch of national championships. But, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm with you. I don't take any offense to this. It doesn't – it's not one of those things where I'm like, ah, you're such an idiot. Like, what – you know, we're going to go down there and show you what's up. And Joe Burrow is going to just smoke, you know, everybody. Like, I don't, I don't, whatever. He made a comment. That's nothing, you know, no skin off my nose. Um, Actually, I think the most egregious part of his comment is where he says they don't have any cupcakes, which is really hilarious considering they're playing like, you know, F, you know, FCS schools in the, uh, you know, in, in late November and they're scheduling yeah, like the Citadel. Like there, there's there's some cupcakes. You've got a you've got a few cupcakes that you run into. They strategically like place theirs. They're, yeah. they're pretty brilliant. It's a smart play. They've been doing it for a long time. Instead of playing them in instead of playing two of them in, in September, they just play one of them in November. Right. I mean, it's a pretty right. crafty move. And, and they're all local. Because we schools. forget about it. They don't bring you in schools about from like other regions, so they can say, "Oh, it's still Southern football, baby!" Like they're still yeah. they're still yeah. from the South, so they must be good. I'm like, okay, that yeah, that's that's that might be a little bit of a stretch, but yep. yeah, I, I, it's it's very insular, and I think that's just kind of a product of the environment, and it's not you know the worst thing in the world. I think Joe Burrow is going to say all the right things. We kind of talked about this before we started recording, but I think he's going to say all the right things. I think he'll be very diplomatic about it. And, you know, he's a smart dude. He's going to be fine. Um, I think he can handle LSU. LS, again, when, 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 when that stadium is rocking, it is probably one of those crazy environments in all of sports anywhere. It is. Uh, yeah. But that's 20% of the time, and that's fine. And, and, and I think that he will handle the other 80% very well. So, Well, uh, and I think it's important for Ohio State fan to remember the position he's in. Right. right. Yeah. He's going to be asked about this. Yes. And you have to, I mean, he's still one of you. Whatever he says, understand that he's politicking to get through a situation. Yeah. They're so going to talk to him about Urban. Gonna, they're yes. going to talk about everything. And, yes. and he's going to flatter his current situation it because it's what you do. Yes. So don't freak out if he says, yeah, I've never seen anything like Baton Rouge on a Saturday. Right. Okay. 100%. That can be a true statement. Yeah, he's allowed to say that. And, and and honestly, like it's the smart thing for him to say, especially as a guy who I'm sure because of that same kind of insular culture, uh, people are going to look at him and go like, eh, I don't know if this kid gets it. I don't know if I want to give him too many chances. If if he ends up throwing a couple yeah. of interceptions the first game or so, maybe he doesn't get it. Maybe he's not a quarterback for LSU. He's got to be smart. And like, <laughs> it's silly that you have to be that political, but honestly, you do. And I that's that's OK. That's there's nothing wrong with him playing that game and and trying to get in the good graces of a fan base that really, really needs a quarterback and for a quarterback to perform well right away. So, yeah, he's going to do what he's got to do. And and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. 
I had I've had several people since this come out and say, you know, what's the deal with them? What, how why do they chant? You know, it brought up all those old things. Why do they chant SEC sure. and there's such conference pride? And um, the way I the the way that I typically explain it is that the South Southeastern Conference football represents the best of the South in the eyes of many. Yeah, it is the best representation of that region. And this this people laugh. This goes back to the Civil War. I'm, this is. This is I don't South. Laugh, dude. I was about to say the same thing, and it's I was afraid you were going to laugh at me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh no, I lived there. I lived yeah. it. It goes back to the Civil War. It goes, it, and the, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody down there wants to go back to, you know, secession and slavery and sure. all that. And that's not what I'm suggesting. Although there's probably some that do, and there's probably some up here that wouldn't mind that. Uh-huh. But, but what, what the bigger point is, it's the fact that they lost that. Yes, that sticks in their craw. Yep. And and so Southern football is their revenge on it. Mm-hmm. We, okay, you won the little war, but we're better at college football and it matters more here. And that's why it's the SEC, SEC chance. That's why you can do the Paul Feinbaum show in the South because it, they're all in it together. It's the collective South represented. No, I, I 1 million percent agree with that. I think that the South culturally lost a lot after the civil war. And then in the, you know, years after that, um, for a whole variety of reasons, the fact that they had to change a culture that was really stratified, you know, based on racism and things like that. Like there's, there's a lot tied into this. And when you take that much away from a society, rightfully so you should take all that stuff away because it was disgusting and evil. Uh, but what are they left with? And in a lot of cases, it's sports. And you see that you don't just see that in the South. You see that in the Rust Belt where you have, you know, an economy that just implodes and people have to try to rest their laurels on something. And in this case, in the South, it's college football a lot of the time. And so that there is a lot of tribalism there. And again, it's not unique to the South, but I think historically there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that's something that they're trying to hang in their hat on because they've lost so many other things yes again completely yeah. rightfully like i'm glad they lost it and i yeah. laugh about it because they all oh, right know. we won right we won. yeah that's good so i will laugh but, about that till the end time we screw that yeah anyway. yeah but that's that's there is some of that 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 there's a lot to that and it's yeah. that's that part of it's that part of it's very real. Um, the other thing that was uh, one of the other things that's happened in the last week or so was the idea of Kata Bates Diop in the NBA draft, Big Ten Player of the Year, had just a sensational season at Ohio State. He went in the second round to Minnesota, not the top of the second round either, kind of the middle to the back end of the second round. And there was the the the, the thing that frightened me. And when I was doing the show with James on the day of the draft, we talked about this, and I said, you know, the thing that frightens me is most of the mocks I was seeing from people who I think know what they're doing had him in the second round or the very back end of the first. And I think what tends to happen on NBA draft day is that these these two things. Number one, these teams, you're, you're dra- because you're drafting kids, you're drafting 18-year-olds in many instances, so you're drafting on the potential of a superstar, right? So you're not very rarely you're drafting a finished product. You don't see that very often. Um, right. And so Kata Bates-Diop is a finished product because of his age, his experience. Like Physically, there's not much more that he's probably going to be able to do in the eyes of the NBA, right? And then the other part about it is, is because he's a finished product, if you're a general manager or a coach, you, if, if if you draft an 18-year-old, you can say, well, just give him a couple of years to develop, which in turn gives you a couple of years, right? 
buys sure. you time to let them develop. Whereas Bates Diop is more of a finished product. I think he will be the problem for him is with the second round, he's gonna have to fight for his job, which is brutal. And Minnesota's got a lot of talent. So it'll be tricky, but he is finished product. And I could totally see him going in and average 12 to 15 points a game or minutes a game, six, seven points, couple of rebounds, couple of assists. Like I I think I could totally see him doing that on a playoff team. So I don't know if the situation's the worst. And I particularly wasn't surprised by what happened in the draft, like just because of the playbook I outlined. Yeah, I wasn't shocked by it. I mean, I read some of the evaluations of him where they say he's like, you know, he's slow and, uh, you know, at least for his size and and that he should be, um, you know, just being able to get his shot a little bit more often, stuff like that, which is the common. I mean, I, I guess that's just kind of a roundabout way of saying you don't think the dude is super athletic, which is, yeah. I think, a reasonable criticism. I don't think he's as athletic as a lot of the other guys who went ahead of him. Um, I still think, though, that his ability now he was i mean he was occasionally streaky during last season but i think his ability to just like just make jumpers and get open like i i just think his length is a, a supreme asset um mm-hmm. and i was a little surprised that he went down that far i wouldn't be i wouldn't yeah. have been shocked if he had fallen to the end of the first round the beginning of the second round but to get to 50 you know in the 50s is just to me uh, a little strange for a guy who had as much success as he did and a really defensive minded you know college league so i you know i think he's going to be you know successful in the nba i don't think he's going to be an all-star or anything like that but i think he'll be a little bit better than his draft position maybe i agree so yeah yeah i agree with that and i I think it's a decent spot for him yeah well that's yeah that's the other thing like i'm not i'm not crying about him going to the timberwolves i think that's that's not a bad landing spot um and i think people in, in minnesota will enjoy his game and i think he'll be given an opportunity to contribute yeah yeah and it's it's a good thing it's it was cool to see like the the, the little the boost in momentum and i'm excited to see what where holtman's program goes yeah, over the next few years and i gotta tell you something that was the thing i mean we were i was actually most impressed i mean kata aside one of the things i was really impressed is how much work the ohio state uh twitter guys and media team and whatnot <laughs> they're on it they were putting in so much work on draft night for basically were. one dude. And that is not something that we really saw under Thadma. I mean, you would see kind point. of similar things, but Holtman is doing such a great job at combining the social media aspect of it and the video and all that other stuff. He's he and his team are doing such a great job at that. And that sets them up really, really well in recruiting and other things like that. So that I was really happy to see that. I was, again, I was, certainly distracted a little bit but um yeah. yeah it was it was cool to see that and and i that gives me a lot of optimism for the future so yeah that was cool. yeah absolutely gonna be gonna be fun to t- keep an eye on all right coming up next we will do ask us anything get travel reports uh from johnny's european holiday and also we want <laughs> of course before we do any of that we want to uh encourage you to visit 11warriors.com for dry goods for shirts hats stickers and more dry goods dot 11 warriors.com all right buddy you uh you you did the you did the euro you did the two yeah. weeks in europe give us give us the uh what what what's the one thing you did that you said if you ever get the chance do this okay well so this was actually this is my honeymoon we me and my wife uh we got married back in january but because i'm a high school teacher it's just easier for me to wait till after the school year was over so we hit up three major places. We went to Zermatt, Switzerland for a few days, uh, which is like at the in the Swiss Alps at the base of the Matterhorn. 
we went to like Como, which you know where George Clooney. Clooney. Our, my personal friend George Clooney lives right. Stayed in the villa. Yeah, you know we talked about the Reds. You know we're, we're best friends. <laughs> um, and you probably uh, could do that, don't you think? On a quick aside, don't you think that he would be up for that? Yes, I, I was. I honestly, God, I was like, I was like, you know what? This is never going to happen in a million years. But I see George Clooney. Yeah. I'm gonna like, we're going to talk about Joey Votto, and then we're going to be best. Like, friends. if you didn't make a big deal about it. But if you just went up to him and just said, How is, is Joey Votto the most underappreciated Cincinnati Red of all time? Yeah. I feel like that would lead to like, well, he he does the Nespresso, probably like an espresso overlooking the lake. Yeah. I feel like that that could happen. No, that was that was that approachable. That's what I was I was hoping for. I was like, man, if I can just I'm just gonna say something about the Reds. Yeah, chill out. I like that strategy on your part. I think yeah. you would have got a full conversation. I think so too. So if if George Clooney is listening to this, and I know he is, uh, next time that we're in Lake Como, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Reds and maybe hit up Beautiful. a Reds game ourselves at some point. You know, that'll be fun. I love that. <laughs> I love the idea of you and Clooney becoming fast friends over the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, I think you. It's it's gonna happen. <laughs> I uh, agree. So after we went to Lake Como, uh, we went to uh, Florence. Italy, obviously, very famous yep. city. It's got the Uffizi Museum and, and obviously uh, David and the Galleria, uh, the Academia. So it was in the Duomo, of course, the, the giant cathedral there. It, that was really amazing. I I would have a really hard time deciding between what I saw. Oh, and we also went to Tuscany uh, for a day. That was cool. We did oh, like cheese. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was That's a pretty good trip, dude. Yeah, That's a lot was, going on on the honeymoon. Good for you. Yeah, it was sweet. Um, I... You know, I would have a really hard time deciding between some of the cultural treasures and stuff that we saw in Florence and the Matterhorn. I will, I don't know, maybe I'll include like a link or something to to where we went because it was just mind boggling. I, I mean, I'm from Ohio, right? Like you're from Montana. Yeah. Mountains are yeah. a little old hat to you. I, <laughs> I have never seen anything like what I saw in, yeah. uh, in in the alps and it was it was mind-blowing it was just beautiful the entire time it, you know the weather was great uh you get up there and there's just it's like snow everywhere and it's really only about 40 degrees so it's not that cold yep. um it was just it was unbelievable uh, i'd never seen anything like that uh but florence i mean seeing david which i thought would be a lot harder to actually like get up to but you used to we stood in line we didn't order tickets for it. we stood in line for about an hour and then we got in and then it's like really easy there weren't that many people around and it's an incredible statue and then the Uffizi gallery which has like botticelli in there you can see the birth of venus um that was unbelievable and just the the history of the cities that you're in i mean you, you know when you're looking yeah. at buildings that were constructed in like the 13th century like it's just <laughs> it's crazy it's hard to wrap your oh. around isn't it yeah I have to tell you this. This is one of my favorite parts of the trip. Uh, so we were in the Uffizi Gallery. I think it was no, it was it wasn't the Uffizi. It was the uh, it was the Museum of the Duomo. And my wife and I were just kind of you know putzing around, looking around and stuff. And we go into this room where we see all these kind of like intricate um, glass containers. And okay. you know, some of them are like embedded in crosses, and some of them are like these giant like centerpiece type things. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, it's, it's just kind of a weird, yeah. like, little thing. And we get closer, and the, they're like, you know, I don't remember what the exact word is for, but you know how, like, they, sometimes they keep pieces of, like, bones of saints and stuff? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, they were, like, jaw bones, like, supposed jaw bones of, of saints and finger bones and, like, arm bones and teeth and skin. Oh it was, my oh, my God. It was so crazy. 
It's a lot um, to take in. Yeah, it was it was fun. So th- there's all kinds of stuff everywhere, and then the food was of course amazing. Um, I didn't have a single bad meal the entire time I was there. It was some fantastic food. Uh, we had like you know this great fondue in Switzerland, and then of course we had all the pizza we could eat, and then. Uh, on our Tuscany tour, they made us this pasta with like, you know, tomato and tuna. It was just so everything was great. Um, but if I were to pick one thing in a really roundabout way, I think I'm going to stick with the Alps. It was just an incredible experience. And, you know, I'm a big I'm I'm big into nature. So for me, that was a huge deal. And I say that as a history teacher who was just, flo- you know, floored by everything sure. I saw in Florence. Um, but to see the Alps like that was, I will probably never get a chance like that again in my life. So that was pretty Well, great. you can. You, they're just in Montana. In That's Glacier. true, right. The czar's <laughs> there. The czar's there now. I, I know, yeah. I wanted to. From yeah. Glacier. We did consulted before tips? the trip. Did you give me I did, Montana? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, we talked about good. it. And so, yeah, he's he's in Glacier. So that's, and in all seriousness, I mean, I, I don't know if it could compare. I've never been to the Matterhorn. I've never been to the Alps, but it's, the landscapes are pretty similar. So, yeah, I, you know, like, it would be pretty wild. Yeah, I feel you know, like it would probably be pretty so. So I'll have to try to get out there because I feel like yeah, that would be. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy that. All right. So time was, for uh, good. Good to have you back, my friend. And it is it's time for Ask Us Anything. It's that part of the program. All right, let's do it. So you guys can ask us anything. You can send us an email to dubcast at 11warriors.com or uh, at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's go ahead. Let's start with the uh, let's start with our Twitter questions because I feel like that's a little neglected from time to time. Um, all right, so <laughs> I got some interesting. So I actually asked for some questions earlier today, and we got some you solicited. Good last, okay, good last minute. Well, let's start. Let's start with an easy one here. What is your uh, go-to condiment on hot dogs? That's from Josh. Well, you can't if it's one. You can't do it without mustard. Okay, so that that has to be. So I mean, I guess my go-to hot dog is uh one side of the bun mustard the other side of the bun ketchup and relish on the dog okay that's i you know what i'm i'm down with that i usually leave off the relish but i agree with you You gotta have both um yeah Yeah. always ketchup and mustard um you know oh if i don't have any mustard hand i'll just go ketchup i'm fine with that but uh i will say that at school and i don't always eat our school lunches but if i forget to pack or something like that uh one of the lunches that we have is a hot dog, some weird cracker things. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a mystery. Um, it's like corn, and then the side, the other side, are baked beans, and I I spread them. Oh, beans. that's always a win. Hot dog, very nice. I enjoy it. That, that's a that, Montana. That, that's a Montana campfire meal right there. Is, yeah, there you is go. Hot dogs on a stick, and then you do the baked beans in the pan over the fire. That's that's a standard. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right, this next yeah. one's from Shaddy. Uh, he went, he, so he says about a year ago, just like you, Bo, he moved from Columbus to Cleveland. What is mm-hmm. the most, quote, Columbus thing about Cleveland? And what is the most, quote, Cleveland thing about Columbus? I think that the um, the most Columbus thing about Cleveland, I don't know if there's anything Columbus about Cleveland, but I think there's some of Columbus... I don't think there's any of Columbus in Cleveland, but I think there is some of Cleveland in Columbus. Okay. I think that, that some of the, um, some of the best parts of Cleveland are in Columbus, but Cleveland is such an old city. It's such an old city and people are so, uh, entrenched in their side of town. And in Columbus, you don't 
really get that feeling. I always felt like when I was that in living in Columbus, I feel like uh, we're all in it together, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. all live in Columbus, whatever suburb you live in, or if you live in downtown, whatever region you live in, you're all in it together. You're all in, you're all living in Columbus. Whereas Cleveland, I, I, I and from a sports teams, obviously they are, but the city is very segregated east, west, and south. Mm-hmm. Um, but really east, west. I mean, are you an east side or west sider? Like it's part of the dialogue and they right. won't go from one side to the other. Whereas the people who built Columbus were smart people and they built it, you know, it's, and, and they, they have the benefit of not have Columbus has the benefit of not having a lake. So, you know, it can just grow forever out. And it's, you know, because of 270, 670, everything's in a circle. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference. I, I do sense, I do see the Northeast Ohio influence on Columbus. Um, but I feel like there's not much Columbus influence on Cleveland other than Ohio state, which, yeah, I would agree know, with that. Cleveland's crazy for Ohio state. Yeah. Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland geographically, I think is also just a lot more spread out than Columbus. You know what I mean? So it, it because of the lake. Than, yeah. yeah. It has exactly. to go East and West. So right, it can't exactly. go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Columbus is a little bit divided in the sense that like, you know, 71, I, I think there's, you know, a bit of a divide between, you know, like more of a blue collar area. And then you've got like kind of Dublin and Westerville over there to the West and upper Arlington. And I, I think there's a little bit yeah, of what that. about New Albany. Yeah. And New Bexley. Albany. Right. And so there is, you know, there definitely is a Eastern, you know, there's Eastern wealth too. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I guess this is the best way I could sum it up. When we lived, when we, when we first moved to Columbus, I felt like there was like eight suburbs we could live in and be yeah. totally happy. Oh yeah, and in Cleveland, I felt like when we first moved up here, I felt like there was three. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, just the thing about Columbus is that it's definitely growing in all directions, right? Like that—that yeah, that is exactly true. I mean, every part of the city has experienced some kind of growth, and some of it's, you know, like in my opinion, not super sustainable, and other parts of it, uh, I, some yeah, of its growth is like really exciting. Like I'm really pumped about it. Um, yeah. But it I don't think downtown's bad. possibly sustainable with all that housing. I'm always floored. Yeah, it's I'm just I, like, how are they always going to keep all these condos full? I just no. don't understand it. Yeah, I drove down there. I hadn't driven down the length of High Street. I don't know, maybe about six months. And I did that maybe about a month ago. And I was just yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like in just yeah. in that short period of time, they, there were like at least four or five new gigantic housing developments. I'm like, nobody's going to like this is not people aren't always going to want to live in these housing developments and raise families and stuff like that. You have to actually build housing for people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they just don't seem to be emphasizing that enough, but no, I agree. Uh, you know, I still really enjoy living in the city and and as someone who, you know, is probably going to be in the market for a house at some point in the next couple of years, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully improves a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got lots <laughs> of options. Week. Um. All right, this next one's from John, and this kind of goes back to uh, the conversation we had a little bit earlier. But he he asks, why does Urban generally seem to look for pro-style quarterbacks while the system he runs seems to put so much emphasis on the quarterback's legs? Why not go for more Martell unless Haskins slash Barrett in general seems like kind of a square peg round hole situation? Well, the first guy that he's recruited that's been, you know, the the more pro-style is Haskins. Yeah. I mean, everybody else that he signed was dual threat. I mean, JT was is a dual threat quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you might not was- like his top end speed, but that's who he is. Martell is a dual threat quarterback. Emory Jones is a dual threat quarterback. Right. 
Um, Joe Burrow was pretty mobile, far more. He was more of a dual threat than pro style out of, I mean, he threw it all over in, in Athens, but he ran a lot too. Um, I know that they are moving in that way more towards pro style. And I think, well, that's why I think this year is going to be so fascinating is the evolution of the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if they can thrive, if urban will have patience for it, and if they can thrive with a more traditional, the way they looked in the three games to the title with Cardell. I mean, I think that's so maybe if, if urban is trying to get more pro style guys, my guess is that is why, because they're trying to move away from all of the read option stuff that they ran in the early years. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget, especially with JT Barrett's passing stats and Cardell Jones and whatnot, that JT Barrett was definitely a dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. Yeah. Like he was like a lot of people thought he was going to be a lot more Braxton Miller than you know what he ended up being, which is which fine. is hilarious, right? Yeah, yeah the idea know, that you can duplicate Braxton Miller because he's not the quickest person in the you know in the Braxton universe. Miller is le- is legitimately who's only played quarterback his whole life is is making it in the NFL at receiver that's how athletic he is right. and people oh we need another Braxton good luck good luck finding that <laughs> is that happening um okay so the last question that we have here so we got a couple actually I want to I want to save those for another time because their basketball questions are kind of involved um i want to end on this one this one i think might be for me but I, you might have you know i have some in, input on this okay uh, this is from the the fourth best cavalier that's that's what his twitter <laughs> handle is <laughs> so i enjoy one. that i enjoy that a lot that's um, a good one yeah so he wants to know 400 im or 200 fly so 400 individual medley or 200 fly in terms of swimming so uh, i think like if which is the superior race is that the question this is clearly yeah, for you. Which is I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse. Maybe. I I think the IM would be because it it shows all of the strokes. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would, would say, like, is the butterfly the hardest stroke? Yes. Yeah. Right. It seems like it would. For be. me, it was. I. <laughs> it's it's hard. The, the idea of doing a two hundred fly like makes me want to die. Like I can't. Yeah, it's I, awful. Oh my god, it's it's terrible. Like it's it's such a counterintuitive stroke too, because you're essentially like you're trying to propel yourself out of the water chest first right so it's like yeah, why would you do that that doesn't make sense um and to do that for 200 you know meters is, is kind of silly uh that's a really really hard race i enjoy watching it just because i know the incredible stamina that it takes to, to swim sure. it but you're right 400 im you get to see all the different the other great thing about the 400 im that i love is not only do you see every stroke but the cool thing is that every swimmer specializes in one stroke right. or the other, right? Like everybody's pretty good at freestyle, obviously. But mm-hmm. you have some guys who are like, well, I can't swim fly, but I will smoke every single one of you in backstroke. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it'll start off with, you know, a guy taking a gigantic lead and then watching the other guys slowly come back into the race as they get into the other uh, the other stroke. So I really like watching the 400 IM. Um, I never once swam it because I, there was no way in hell I was going to be able to compete um, doing butterfly, but it's a really cool thing to watch. And the people that can do it and do it well have like my utmost respect. Um, yeah. Cause that's like, that's essentially asking a sprinter to do, okay, you're going to do, you're going to do a sprint and then a steeplechase and then you're going to do a mile race. And then you're going to like do a pole vault. Like it's, 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 it's not even that it's, it's, we're going to, okay. You're going to sprint a hundred meters. Then you're going to run backwards for a hundred meters. And then you're going to run <laughs> on your hands for a hundred meters. Right. And then you're going to crab crawl for a hundred meters. Like right. it's, that's basically it. it's, yeah. it's all, it's all, you know, I don't understand any, it's nuts to me. Like the people that dreamt this up, like I always think back to the event, like at the beginning when people were dreaming up these strokes, 
Like, the, the, why wouldn't you say, well, why don't we all just freestyle? Isn't this the best way? <laughs> like, why would we come up with this other stuff? Like, yeah. there's no other sport like that where there's a, there's a simple way to do it. And they're like, well, let's come up with some harder ways to mix this up a little bit. And I think, geez, what a weird, yeah. you know, no, it's, but, it's super goofy, but it's fun as it hell. Is, yeah. I, I mean, swimming is great. So yeah, I'd yeah. say 400 IM. I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. And that's ask us anything for this week. And again, continue to send those in, you know, again, sorry, Alvin. And, and you know, everybody, else, like, we'll get to those questions, but they're, they're going to take us a little while to answer and, and we'll have to set aside some time for them. And we will do that. Yeah, we will do that. All right, good stuff. Good having you back, buddy. Glad you had a good trip. And uh, we'll talk again uh, very soon, perhaps next week, indeed. Yeah, absolutely.